Numbers chapter 11 this morning. Uh, I want to thank you for coming back. Uh, last Sunday was tough. Last Sunday was not a fun. Like, I actually lost sleep over, over preaching this message because, uh, you know, it, it may not come across when I preach, but I actually want you to like me. Um, it's, just, uh, it's just one of those innate things. I, I just, I, which is sad because a lot of times I tell you things um, that Scripture tell you that, that in Christ, when we, when we compare ourselves to, to Christ, uh, we are terrible people. And so sometimes I have to remind, we have to remind ourselves that we're terrible people, but the good that is in us is because of Christ. Uh, and so I'm shocked that when I tell you you're a terrible person, you come back the next Sunday. Um, I, don't, I don't know what, what, kind of, uh, what kind of masochism that is on your life going on that you come back for a beating again. But I'm so glad you're here because that's not what we're doing today. Uh, today is right. Today is a happy message, and so uh, I'm, I'm excited. It better be a happy message because uh, if it's not, uh, it should be a convicting message because uh, we're going to be talking about servanthood today. We're going to talk about getting involved and uh, being being a part of how God is working. Um, when when you look at the dichotomy, and we we talked about this a little bit last week. When you're busy with, with your hand to the plow, you don't really have time to complain. Uh, because you're busy doing that. And I've seen photos of, of things we were doing with, with Love Jacks. Uh, Be Rich is right around the corner in November. November. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, and so, uh, so with it coming around the corner, um, we need to be thinking about as a, as a body, getting our hand, putting our hands to the plow, doing things. Because I, I tell you, until Jesus really isn't going to come back until everyone's heard about the gospel. Okay, and we always say that he can come, he can come back in, in, a, in an instant. He can come back in five seconds. That's true. But the thing is that, that it is incumbent upon us to share the gospel for him to come back. And so, uh, and quite honestly, with the direction our world's going, I'm ready for him to come back. So we need to get busy. Uh, we got things to do. So last week we looked at what happens when grumbling takes over the camp, the, the camp of Israelites. It began to affect the leadership, right? Moses is like, God, if this is... If this is what you have signed me up for, then just kill me, okay? And, and, and let me tell you, as pastors, there are days, and I, I, I want to be completely honest with you. I don't want to lie to you. There are days that sometimes you just walk away and go, all right, Lord, if this is what it's like, kill me, uh, quite honestly. Um, and, uh, and, and then there are other happy days like today. I mean, I, I love that. Um, but it began to affect Moses, and it began to affect even his psyche. Even though all the good things he had done, he had seen the Lord burn a bush that never burned up. He had seen the glory of the Lord pass by him when he's in the cleft of the rock on Mount Sinai. He'd seen the waters of, uh, uh, of the Red Sea parted uh, so that God's people could walk through. All these signs and wonders we've, we've ad nauseum talked about uh, over the last uh, several, several weeks. He had seen all of these things, but still, even understanding that God is sovereign, that God is good, that God is holy, that God is righteous, that God is is the best of us, uh, even though we are created in his image, the sin that has crept into our lives um, distorts the view of what, of what Christ looks like uh, when we reflect Christ to the world. Um, even knowing all of those things, even understanding that we can't even begin to comprehend how wonderful and awesome and pure God is, he's still those things. And even understanding that, sometimes we allow doubt and hurt and brokenness and the dumb things that people say to us from time to time, the grumbling that, that, that you think uh, the pastors don't find out about. Quite honestly, church, most oftentimes we hear about it, but here's how we hear about it. Uh, because some wonderful, loving church person walks up to us and says, and says, I've been hearing murmuring or I've been hearing grumbling. And we say, all right, well, who's, you know, who's the one talking about it? Who's the one saying it? And they go, well, we just really... You know, they really asked to not be named. And like that eats at us. 
It, it does. And so we talked about, about what those things do. Now, the antidote for those things, all right, the antidote for, uh, for grumbling is servanthood. And that's kind of our big idea today. That's what uh, we need to retrain our mindset to be what, what Christ wants from us. And so and as you begin the process of, of um, searching for a senior pastor, calling a, a lead pastor to this church, we need to have this in our minds um, that, that when your next pastor steps on the stage, that you need to be putting off as a church that, is, that, that has a mindset of servanthood. And we've already seen it. We've seen photos of Love Jacks. We're going to see photos of Be Rich. We're going to see uh, the, the evidence of, fr- of fruitfulness, which is a full baptistry and people, uh, people getting baptized and getting excited about all that. Um, but the Lord is already moving at Fort Caroline Baptist. The Lord's already working. You see it. And so, and, 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 that, and as he begins to even grow what he's doing, what, what we are going to see is going to be absolutely epic. And so in the passage from last week, we saw how, how Moses goes to the Lord and, and, and says, Lord, I, I don't know that I could do this anymore. And, and God says, okay, fine. So he took the burden that Moses was shouldering all on his own and he began to, to disperse it among the elders of the church and as the, or of the, of the, the, the Israelites. And as the elders began to go out and to, to do the work that had been uh, pushed among there were a couple guys that were um, that were set back. Two guys named Eldad and Medad. Um, <laughs> what cool names, right? Eldad and Medad. Uh, and so, so, and, and they began to prophesy. Now, but if you are here today, we're going to be talking about prophecy. And so, if you have a Pentecostal background, you're probably getting excited right now because we don't talk about that in a Baptist church all that often. However, it is going to be a little bit different than maybe you have. Heard. Some denominations uh, say that prophecy takes that which the Lord says, that the Lord has already spoken, either verbally or through the scriptures, and then adds to it. All right? And so you'll have someone, it, it, it always scares me, like, I mean, frightens me to, to no end. When someone walks to me and says, 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 Pastor, the Lord has told me to tell you this. And I go, oh, man. Like, the, my first, it's my first blush. I go, oh, man. Oh, what am I about to hear, right? You know? And so, and so, some people see the gift of prophecy to be that the Lord has already spoken this through the counsel of his word, but he's also told me this too, and he's only told me this. And so it's incumbent upon me to tell you as God's spokesman, right? Because remember, Moses was God's spokesman. Moses says, so, so when I go to Pharaoh and I tell Pharaoh that, that to let his people go, he's going to say, under whose authority and, and what would you like me to say? And God says, tell him I am that I am has sent you. All right, so... So what we find is, is that there are folks that, that kind of take that, that, uh, that picture and, and transliterate it into the 21st century, where, where prophecy becomes an addendum or an epilogue or an appendix to the scriptures. There's a theological word for that. Can I offer that to you today? Hogwash. Yeah. All right. I, I want you to say something with me this morning, whether you believe it or not. I do not believe in extra biblical revelation. Say it with me. I do not believe in extra biblical revelation. Hopefully you're doing it online. That's great. You're in your living room by yourself. I totally get it. I'm so glad you did it. All right, folks, folks, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, we're very clear. All scripture is God-breathed. All right, theopanoustos, literally, literally the word in Greek means God breathed. It is the breath of God. God spoke his words, his infallible, inspired, and errant words into broken, fallible, uh, errant men. And, and those men sat down and wrote God's words. 
That's prophecy. That is, that is God sharing his heart with a broken people. So what we should be able to do as people of God is we should say that, and, and understand this church, the canon is closed, okay? And it wasn't the Synod of Dort or the Council of Jerusalem or the Council of Nicaea that closed the canon. God himself closed the canon. The 66 books of the Bible are everything we need for training in righteousness, for, for reproof, for correction, for teaching, all the things that we need so that, that this for this one reason, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We have all that we need right now in Scripture. Now, what we're going to find is we're going to find a different kind of prophecy here today. There are times that God, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, is going to, to, uh, to prompt men or women to communicate infallible truth that are both consistent with and can be confirmed in Scripture. Here's the thing. If you come to me or you come to another pastor at this church and you say, Pastor, the Lord has told me to tell you this. This is the response you will get 100% of the time, bar none. That's fantastic. Now, show me, show me, show me where this is confirmed in Scripture. If it can't be confirmed in Scripture, church, it didn't come from God. And that is the bottom line. And so we have to set that foundation because if not, we start throwing out words like prophecy and it's going to get real ugly in here, okay? We set the foundation for what prophecy is, all right? This is not man communicating his, his own truth or her own opinions or their own suppositions based on the interpretation of God's word. This is the Lord, this is the beauty of it. This is the Lord using us. I mean, think about it. God, if you are a believer in this world, God wants to use you to communicate his truth supported in his word. All right, so let's, let's read together. All right, we're going to read verses 24 through 30 of Numbers chapter 11, not November chapter 11. That'll be a different day altogether. Um, Numbers chapter 11, starting in verse 24. It says, So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the, some of the spirit that was on him and put in... Oh man, I, I love this. If you're cool, writing up, writing up, like marking up your Bible, underline that word spirit. That's a great word. And we're going to come back and talk about why it's such a great word uh, here in just a moment. All right. Uh, he says, that, and as soon as the spirit rested on them, they, pro they prophesied. But they did not continue doing it. Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the Spirit rested on them. And they were among those registered, but they had, had not gone out to the tent. And so they prophesied in the camp. You know, I wonder kind of what, you know, where Eldad and Medad fell into this whole, um, this whole deal, like where people were grumbling. As Moses is walking through the people, hearing them grumbling, uh, I, I wonder if Eldad and Medad were just two of these guys that were kind of just sitting around. Like, you, you know how, how, uh, how, how, as you get older, like guys especially, you have this overwhelming desire to drink coffee on your front porch. Like, like you just want to sit on the front porch. I, in my 20s and 30s, I never did that. Uh, I, when we got that first breath of cold air uh, uh, for, Flor for Florida, cold for Florida, it was 70. Um, when, when we got that first cool, cool, coolish breath of wind there, a breath of breeze the other day. You know what I had this overwhelming desire to do when I took the dogs out that morning? I wanted to grab a cup of coffee and just sit on the back porch. Like, I wonder if Eldad and Medad were just two of these guys that were just sitting around, and then God began to use them. 
He said uh, they had not gone out to the tent, so they prophesied in the camp. And a young and a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. A couple of things I want us to see in the time that we have today, uh, and that is, is this. Number one is that true prophecy begins and ends with the Lord. Church, we've got to get, got to get our minds around this. All right? All right you're, you're not going to change the Lord's mind. You're not going to dictate the direction uh, of where his people are going to go. God's will is sovereign and his, and his, and his, his uh, character is perfect. Uh, we have to get out of this mindset that we are going to, for, some, for somehow or some way, that we're going to, to change what the Lord is already doing. That's not how this works. All right? So true prophecy begins and ends with the Lord. Look at verses 25 and 6. He says, the Spirit... Capital S. There's a reason there's a capital S there because what you're seeing is, and, and again, I love when we look at, at pictures or we look at characters who show up in the New Testament and are all over the New Testament, but they're also in the Old Testament too. And it can't be people who are necessarily a, a, a mortal, uh, unless you're talking about, about Elijah maybe, you know, who's, who didn't really die so much uh, as much as he was taken up uh, on a chariot of fire. But, but what we find is the Godhead, the same Trinity. Remember, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God. That word God is plural, okay? And even in the Hebrew, it's not just plural. It's actually multiple. So when we say that in the beginning, God created, like I think we had this picture that God is just standing back going, all right, we need water, we need trees, we need cows we need mosquitoes why he would say that i never know you know and, and we kind of have this picture of like god the father standing back and just sort of moving all the pieces into place that's not really what we see that word god the the, the hebrew word el elion is a picture of the godhead it's trinitarian it's the foundation of trinitarian theology god the father god the son god the holy spirit were all present at creation so when, when the, the world was spoken into existence, it wasn't just God the Father. It was the Trinity that was doing it. There is a harmony between the three parts of the Godhead. And so what we see here in verses 25 and 26 is that the third part of the Trinity, when God, when God rests or the Spirit in this passage, when it rests on somebody and they begin to speak, it is the Holy Spirit that is prompting them to speak. Prophecy isn't production, okay? It's reflection, all right? Now, how do we know the difference? I, I'm glad. I, I would love to show you. Hopefully, this will show up. All right, you see what I'm doing here? This is my flashlight on my phone. I take it everywhere. Bob, when I go hunt, I don't take a flashlight with me. I take my phone because that's just how I am, all right? So, so this is, I turn my flashlight on, and it illuminates the way. All right? I think there are people that think that prophecy is a lot like a flashlight, that we are going to shine a light on the darkness in this world, right? which sounds really churchy and it sounds really good. It just isn't very biblical. Okay? Prophecy is not, is not a production of something we, where we do something. We, we, we play this part in, in what God's doing. Prophecy is reflection. Okay, It's reflection. And so when, when I am, this is probably not a good example, is it? I'm, I'm going over here to, to grab, a, grab, grab something off camera. I'm coming back. 
couldn't believe they had one in 4X, but Amazon is awesome. Oh, no, Al, I can't get it on. Oh, there it is. All right, prophecy is reflection. I'm going to wear this the rest of the sermon, so get ready. Prophecy is reflection, okay? We don't produce for the world our character because remember what Paul said? Paul said, my righteousness, the best I have to offer is like filthy rags. Church, what we do when, when prophecy happens in the 21st century, it is a reflection of the nature of God. Okay, when, when we speak God's words, which is why remaining contained within the scriptures is so unbelievably important. Because we are not reflect. Because if I reflect me, let me tell you what you don't want. You don't want me reflecting who I am in bumper-to-bumper traffic. All right, you don't want me reflecting who I am when someone says something bad about my mama or about my wife. All right, you don't want to see that side. When we reflect, when we prophesy, we are taking the nature and the character of God and, and reflecting it. That which has already been shown on us is reflected to a lost and dying world. What's the purpose of a reflective vest? Like, we're not bioluminescent. All right, we wear reflectors so that when, a light, when light is shown on a vest like this, the light is reflected back and you will know that there's something different about the person wearing that vest. When someone prophesies in the Lord, he is simply reflecting the heart of God. Nothing more, nothing less. We don't make this stuff up. We don't claim to speak for the Lord. When we speak, we speak in the Lord, not for him. He does, don't miss that. That's, that's, a, that's actually a big deal. All right, those... I think, I think that's a preposition, okay? Those prepositions mean an awful lot. We don't speak for God. <laughs> Can you imagine us speaking for God? Can you imagine the brokenness that's within me? I know, what, I know me. You know you. Can you imagine God using you to speak for him? But when we speak in him, when his spirit, capital S, courses through us, he gives us the capacity to reflect his nature and character as accurately as we can in our brokenness. Centuries later, after all of this went down, the prophet Joel would speak about this very same thing. In Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 9, actually Matt actually quoted it a few weeks ago when he was talking about speaking God dreams. I want to expound on that a little bit. Joel, the, this prophet who is speaking in the Lord... He says, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my capital S spirit. Church, God is pouring out the ministry of the Holy Spirit no differently than he did on the day of Pentecost. But he is using the church where he used Peter on Pentecost to communicate his truth. This is a killer Pentecost sermon, by the way. Like 50 days after Easter, all right? That on those days where God used Peter to communicate, his, to communicate God's truth, God is going to use the church to communicate his truth. Let me give you the, the, the real honest truth. We should be cast aside because of our sinfulness. 
We should be cast aside, unusable for the cause of Christ. Because of the imperfectness of us, because sin, the sin that still lies within us. But even in that brokenness, that lostness, the Lord still draws men and women to himself in salvation. And he draws us, you and me, the believers in the room, to serve others as we walk through sanctification. So what does that mean for us? Well, it means that you don't have to be special to be used by the Lord. We think of prophets, we think of like, like man, it must be something super special. Or maybe even like, like, uh, like Mary, Jesus' mother. We think, man, there's something special about Mary. And if you have a Catholic background, if you kind of had that ingrained in you that, man, man, something blessed about Mary, that, she, that God would, that, that God would, would uh, maybe she is just a little bit more elevated. Maybe she's special because God chose to use her. Church, we're, you don't have to be special to be used by the Lord. You just have to be spirit-filled. Look at verse 27. Said a young man, so, so Eldad and Medad, are, they're hanging around the camp. They're the old men, right? They're hanging around the camp, sitting on the porch drinking coffee. Right? And they just start to prophesy. It said the spirit rested on them and they prophesied. Now, it didn't say they continued doing it, but they did it for a time, enough to where someone heard it. And one of the young men goes and they go, they go uh, back to, uh, to Moses and, and he says, uh, verse 27, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua wouldn't have any of it. You want to know why? Because Joshua, I think, I think there was a, a little bit of Joshua that thought Moses and Aaron and I are just a little bit special. Because look at all the things God's done through us. right? I mean, it doesn't say that in the text. But you can see that kind of mentality cropping up. And he tells Moses, he says, My Lord Moses, stop them! They're not qualified! Who are they? They're not us! Now, he's not saying that, but under, can, can you see this happening? And you see that happening. Like, like the... the, the Difficult thing about just having words on a page is even though it is inspired and errant, it's alive and it's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, all of those things, it's still to us words on a page. It's the spirit within us that, that gives us the ability to interpret. But you can see, look at how, how Moses responds. He goes, no, wait a minute. He said, are you jealous for my sake? Like, like do, you, do you think that, that, that I'm the only one qualified to prophesy in the Lord? He says, you don't have to. He said, would all that the Lord's people were prophets? All right, so let's go back. How do we keep this from happening? So remember a couple weeks ago, we asked a series of questions as we looked at the people walking through the Exodus, right? Uh, and, and one of the things we asked, who did the heavy lifting for our salvation? Say his name. You're right. God, Jesus did. Right, God or Jesus, all, all are good answers. All right, so... So Jesus does the heavy lifting of our salvation. He, he was the one that hung on the cross. He's the one that bore our burden, our sin burden on his shoulders. He paid the debt that we couldn't pay. All right. so, so, he, so God winds up keeping his standard of perfection while offering Jesus to die in our place. He never made the stipulation that you've got to have it all come together before you can come to him. Can you imagine if you have to get your life completely right before you're able to come to Jesus in salvation? None of us will get saved. I ain't got it right. I still shake my fist at traffic. I still get angry from time to time. 
He never said we had to be competent. He just said we had to be willing. So whether it's salvation, I love this, whether it's salvation, where we just have to be willing to let go of the innate desire to fix it on our own and realize we can't fix it. Or whether it's this innate desire that because we're believers, we're somehow specially viewed by God to communicate his truth. We forget who did the heavy lifting of our salvation. Who knew better than Moses to redirect Joshua when he went astray? Remember the burning bush? Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. Moses says to the Lord, Lord, I'm, I'm not eloquent. Like either in the, in the past or since you've spoken to your servant. He said, I am slow of speech and tongue. Literally, he had a speech impediment. He, he didn't, as we say in Clay County, he didn't talk good. Look, look at how the Lord responds in verse 11. I know, I'm wearing a reflector I'm, and I'm, I'm talking Clay County, I get it. Verse 11, it says, The Lord said to him, Who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? What about blind Bartimaeus? Who Jesus heals of his blindness. What, what about the boy who was, who was made lame, who was born lame? And God says, it's for, it's for this purpose that God may be glorified. Friend, let me tell you, if you walked in today and you have baggage, you have brokenness, you have shame, you have regret, you have hurt, and you think it makes you unqualified to be God's servant? Friend, in love, let me tell you, you need a bigger view of God. God can see and do so much more than you can even imagine. Prophesying like Eldad and Medad isn't heavy lifting on our end. God uses our faithfulness to accomplish his good work. But Joshua took on this false notion that the gifting of, of, of prophecy only went to, to certain people. Sometimes you see this from the stage. I think there are times that we as preachers, that sometimes we allow ourselves to fall into the trap that we have to be one with all the answers. Be, because quite honestly, if I have all the answers or if Matt has all the answers, that's job security for us. If we tell you that you have the answers, there may come a day you may not need us anymore. And quite honestly, every other Friday, we're grateful that you need us. The calling that God has placed on our lives as pastors is to do three things. To love the church. To lead you where God's leading. And to come alongside of you and put our hands to the plow next to you in service. I'm going to give you a secret of, of, of pastors. We are no more important to the work that God is doing at this church than you are. Please, I'm elevated and lights are on me because, because I get 35-ish minutes to communicate God's truth to you. But let me tell you, if nobody were to stand up here and communicate God's truth to you, the Spirit of God would still work in and amongst you. And he's going to work in and amongst you as you walk out of this place today. 
Joshua, for a second, forgot this. I want to teach you a little bit of science this morning, and then we're going to close things down. Um, so, so sodium is an active element that we find uh, naturally, but we only find it in combined forms. You're not just going to find sodium just like, like just floating out there in the ether, okay? Like, that's, that's not how this works. Sodium naturally wants to attach itself to another element, okay? And, and when it does, there are certain uh, effects or side effects that happen with it. Chlorine also is a, is a, a poisonous gas. Uh, as a matter of fact, back in, in World War II uh, and, and, and going forward, uh, chlorine gas was a, a major uh, effect, or was, was a major um, uh, weapon of mass destruction that was used by the, by, uh, the Axis powers uh, against allies. And so uh, chlorine on its own is, a, is absolutely uh, poisonous, and it, it, it kind of gives off a bleachy vibe, okay? Like when you smell it, it's a, it's a bleachy vibe. It has this like super offensive odor to it. However, when sodium, which naturally wants to hitch its wagons to somebody, and chlorine, which is naturally deadly on its own, uh, attaches together, you come up with something that I think we can all get, get over and we can all enjoy. Sodium chloride. Salt. What once was unusable in its form, in, in, in its purest form, and something that was deadly in its purest form, combine, and it combines into something that, I, that my doctor tells me I love too much. <laughs> Think about the things that we use salt for. We use it to season, okay? Matter of fact, James talks about it. Let, let your speech be seasoned with salt, all right? And, and there's, there's an admonition there, right? Uh, I, I can eat things without salt. I just don't like them as much, okay? I can eat the very same thing. That, that does not have any salt on it. And I think, I don't like this as much as when I have salt on it. We use, we use salt to bring out, to preserve meat. It's, it's a preservative. Love and truth, okay, which all go into, into prophecy. Love and truth are a lot like sodium and chlorine. Love without truth is a lot like sodium, right? It's willing to combine itself with other, with other various doctrines, right? God is love. God just wants to love you. God just wants you to love who you want to love. God, you, 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 know, you know, love is love. All these things, right? And it combines itself with all these other doctrines. And it's all this stuff that you hear me railing against Sunday after Sunday. Truth by itself, when it's not combined with love, can be offensive. Sometimes it can be poisonous. When truth is spoken without love, it can turn people away from the gospel. I think a lot of times we want to focus on God's wrath. That, and, and let me tell you, God's wrath is a very real thing. There is going to come a day when God is going to pour out his wrath on the unbelieving world, and you don't want to see it when it happens. But if I just go out there and I start spouting this stuff on the street corner, ain't nobody going to listen to that. They're not going to listen until they know I love them. At least they have a pretty good idea that I love them. When truth is spoken in love, friend, that's prophecy. That's what the minor prophets were all about. When you read Malachi or you read Nahum or Obadiah or Amos or Joel or even Habakkuk. They're communicating truth that God is going to pour out his wrath. But there's also a picture of repentance. Come home. 
Come home to the Lord. Turn from your wicked ways. Come home. So in Matthew chapter 5, on the Sermon on the Mount, this is why Jesus called his people to be salt of the earth. Church, prophets must model the delicate balance between love and truth. He, he didn't call us to be chlorine of the world. He didn't call us to kill everybody around us. He didn't call us to be sodium of the world. He didn't call us to just make love whatever it's going to be. He called us to be salt of the earth. He called us to manifest that salt through servanthood. And this is how they will know you are my disciples and how you love the brothers. Do the good works that you may glorify your Father who is in heaven. Jesus himself said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Go back to Numbers chapter 11, verse 29. But Moses said to him, are you, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Church, we're going we're gonna to be prophets this week, whether you like it or not. People that know you are a Christian are going to see how you handle living in a world of lostness and brokenness. And we have the privilege to communicate, to reflect the nature and the character of God to an unbelieving world. What kind of servant are you going to be this week? How, how as you walk out, ask yourself, how can I be more sensitive to the leading of the Spirit? How am I going to be salt of the earth this week? For God's glory. Because if we are salt of the earth to this world, we're going to need to fill up that baptistry a lot more. Because people naturally who are lost naturally want to know how to be found. And we have the privilege to communicate the gospel. Would that everyone at Fort Caroline Baptist Church be prophets so the Spirit can rest on them. Father, we love you, and we thank you. And as we close things up today, Father, may we be reminded that your word is sufficient in all things to communicate your truth that we might be salt and light in this world. For we pray these things in Jesus' name.